0: Hi, this is Jermaine
1: O'Neill, and you're listening to Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. Pacer fans, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. I'm your host for tonight's show, Alex Golden, and joining me as always is my right-hand man, the president of the Jermaine O'Neill Fan Club, Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the one and only Michael J. Focci.
2: Thank you, thank you. You fans are way too kind. I appreciate it, everybody. (laughs) But no, I'm thrilled to be here. Talking Pacers, it's my favorite thing in the world, so nothing else I'd rather be doing, even if it's in basically the middle of August. I'm jacked up for this season, Alex.
1: I don't know about you. I am jacked up, too. We are 46 days away from the first preseason game in India, 9.30 on a Friday morning so make sure you guys get off work for that game if you're looking to see some Pacers action in India. But it was pretty funny. It's a day at work. Somebody walked up to me and they said, man, you're already talking about the preseason for NBA when we got NFL right around the corner. I said, look, my handle says NBA at the end of it. <laughs> I'm not that worried about football season, my man.
2: <laughs> it's a, already, we never stopped. <laughs> you know, We've
1: been talking Pacers throughout. Yeah, we don't, we don't quit. Pacers basketball never dies. Pacers Twitter never dies either. So... Today People on today's quit. show, uh, we're going to be doing a couple of different things here. But first, I want to talk about Jay Michael's article with Tyreek Evans that came out, talking about how the younger players were wanting to get more playing time, and they felt like McMillan should give them that opportunity, or the veterans were kind of wanting to just go the older route and try to win more games and as, win as much as possible. With so many expiring contracts, you know, it was a very interesting situation. But the report also said that there was a possibility that The Pacers were going to cut Tyreek Evans multiple times, and, you know, looking back at last year, I mean, this all makes sense. There's nothing really news-breaking about this, but what route do you wish they would have gone, Focci? I,
2: I think if you cut Tyreek Evans, it would have been a distraction to the team. That's when everybody knows that something's going on. And, come on, just us, as well as every other Pacer fan out there, always waited and was hopeful that Tyreek Evans would get it together. So I think that it was still valuable to have him on the team. We saw him produce in the Boston series. Just unfortunately, the rest of the team didn't really step up the way we needed. But it was evident something was going on. I mean, whether it was the early suspension in the beginning of the season with him being late to practice, there was much more going on than we knew. And I want to give the Pacers at least credit for not leaking all of that information.
1: So I, I yeah,
2: don't judge them for, for not cutting in.
1: Well, yeah, but let me ask you this: because to me, it makes more sense to maybe not cut him, but take him out of the rotation and play these young guys yes. because you know they just extended Sumner, Aaron Holiday. They're going to give him backup minutes. I would have much rather have seen Holiday get more minutes, especially since the season was basically lost as soon as Oladipo went down. Like we knew there was no chance of us making a serious run in the playoffs. But I mean, at the same time, you have to reward your veterans that have been loyal to your team, the Thad Youngs, the Boweans. The Corey Josephs, the Darren Collisons, I mean guys that were just staples of this team. I mean, they fought for Tyreek to be in the rotation and to give this thing a shot because they, you know, they believed in themselves and I'm and I'm happy that they did because they deserved that opportunity. But at the end of the day, you know, it's funny to see how we've gone from such a younger from an older team on expiring contracts to a younger team on long term deals. I'm I'm really excited to see how this goes. I am because that's also a lot less players looking over
2: their shoulder not knowing right. what's going to happen. I mean towards the end of the season you had basically, you know, probably close to like six guys looking over their shoulder saying, "Hey, I don't know if I'm going to be back or not. Do I need to, you know, touch the ball a lot more to to solidify that hey, look, bring me back or is this one of those where you could buy into the overall team." So I do think there's less distractions going into this year. I think this team has very high character. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that Tyreek Evans' character was bad coming into the year, but I don't think that it helped anything once he was on the team. So less
1: distractions. Sounds like a better situation for me. Yeah, exactly. And I'm so glad that we are past last year. We're ready to move forward. And speaking of moving forward, there's a guy on the Pacers right now trying to make it for Team USA that you've got some information on Miles Turner uh has been getting some playing time with team usa. Now we know everybody has been making headlines for leaving Team USA, but Miles Turner is, you know, given it his all and he wants to be a part of this and it's gonna be a long off season for him, you know, playing with Team USA if he makes the team, going over to India and playing in that uh in the preseason there. I mean it's just gonna be long for him, but he's ready for that challenge. And Fachi, you have some updates on Miles Turner.
2: Well within the last basically about two weeks, you know, guys like Thad Young, who we know very well, has been cut Uh, Trey Young, Kyle Lowry have dropped out. Marvin Bagley even withdrew. And he was someone who was competing against Miles Turner for for that last spot. Then we also recently had De'Aaron Fox and P.J. Tucker withdrew. So P.J. Tucker was supposed to be a a pretty big focal point of Team USA. They had him in the the starting lineup initially. And as uh, a couple more cuts need to be made, I believe they're down to about 14 players, maybe even 13. I want to say 14 and they're trying to get down to 12. So I think that the odds of Miles making this team is very good. He's competing against Mason Plumlee and Brooke Lopez for minutes at center. So I feel like Miles is going to be able to make Team USA. It seems like there's no sign of him looking to withdraw. And I also think that this is going to benefit him. He's young enough where he can play these extra minutes now. A guy like Oladipo, you wouldn't want him having all these other summer obligations going on. But Miles, he's young enough. Playing under Coach Pop, I feel like that's someone you want mm-hmm. to learn from and you can learn a lot from. So I think this is something where you want to be challenged and this I think really will help Miles Turner in the long run.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited for Miles Turner to grow as a player and being around just not even, you know, the greatest centers, but just around different pros in the league. I think it's gonna help him and there's a lot of good things that Brooke Lopez did last year that I would be okay with Miles doing, shooting more threes. You know, Brooke yep. has probably solidified himself as more of a low-post player than Miles Cerner has, so I think he might get the edge in the starting lineup. But, I mean... Oh, yeah. You know, and he actually was pretty good at blocking shots last year as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of good things that Brooke Lopez does. You know, Miles Cerner has still got to elevate his game. I mean, we've been hearing about it for years and years and years about how Miles is just going to keep getting better and keep getting better. Well... It's time for me to really see that jump and that leap, and I I want to see more from him this year. I'm really backing him. I'm behind him this year more than I ever have been. I'm just excited for his future, but I've got to see it. He seems hungry because he feels disrespected. I'm excited to see what he can do. I'm happy for him with Team USA. I think the guys that are on this team are only going to make him be a better player. The coaching staff, like you mentioned, is top of the notch. Hopefully that helps him develop as a player as well. So I'm excited for him, but at the end of the day, you know, we just have to see that developed improvement throughout the season, and I'm just, I'm just here for the journey. So am I. It's
2: year one of the new contract, so uh, let's uh, let's get our morning's worth.
1: Let's do it, Miles. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, Fachi, our headline for today's episode is going to be the top 10 moments of Pacers basketball this decade. Me and you have talked about our... Top ten moments. We came up with our top ten. Now we did not put them in the exact same order. So if you're listening, me and Fachi did not agree on the order of everything. And some of us our reasonings are a little bit different than others, but we're gonna sit here and break down why we have our rankings the way we have them and we're gonna break it down. So Fachi ready to do this?
2: Yeah, I am and I also have factored in. I mean, like like you mentioned, there's stuff like significance then there's also moments that really it might have touched you differently than it touched another fan like like where were you in this moment and how did it make you feel and some right. of these moments i thought were were uh, amongst uh the best of the last decade so curious to hear uh, listeners thoughts on this if there's any moments that we missed or if there's anything that you agree or disagree with we're open to everything
1: yeah and and i think the thing we should talk about too here just real quick This isn't just moments that happened on the court. This could be stuff that happened off the court as well Mm -hmm. that helped this team grow. So, Fachi, at number 10, I think we both had number 10 the same, but I'll let you kick it off number 10. What was your 10th best moment of this year's – the last decade? So my 10th moment,
2: something that actually happened off the court. Uh, The Pacers fired Jim O'Brien and they promote Frank Vogel to interim head coach. I mean – We've had a couple players on this show, and I don't think anybody spoken highly of Jim O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no offense to Jim, but he wasn't my favorite either. And I feel like this move basically kind of ushered in a new era of Pacer basketball. The O'Brien is like, pretty dark. I mean, it's post-brawl, no playoffs. And when Vogel's promoted to head coach, he starts playing the rookie, Paul George Moore. You know, the Pacers, they get in the playoffs. They go on a run. They're in eighth seed. But it shows you so much promise against the Bulls that from there, they never look back. And I just felt like that was a significant moment over the last decade that – has to be kind of remembered, even
1: if it wasn't technically on the court. Yeah, and that's the the move that helped the Pacers get into the playoffs that year. Now They did lose to the Bulls in five games. It was a gentleman's sweep, but that experience really helped these guys grow as a team. They still had Danny Granger there, but this was the end of the Mike Dunleavy-Troy Murphy era that we were all so happy to see leave, because nothing against those guys. They were traded here for Al Harrington, Stephen Jackson. I mean, that trade, that probably ended up being a really bad trade for the Pacers in the long run. I mean, yep. we have a lot of yeah. good players to Golden State for this for this move. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, look, I, I was completely ecstatic when the Pacers fired Jim O'Brien. I couldn't stand this guy. He was on the Pacers coaching staff way too long. Larry Bird hung on to him way too long. Just was not a great fit for this team. And honestly, bringing in Frank Vogel. I mean, we didn't even put Frank Vogel's hiring as something on here. This is kind of like tied hand in hand with it. Frank Vogel was the exact coach the Pacers needed to get them to the championship or the Eastern Conference Finals multiple times. And, you know, there are some things that I didn't like about Vogel's offensive schemes. His defense, I thought that was more of a Dan Berg thing than it was a Vogel thing. But still, I mean, his motivation, his encouragement, he pushed these guys, and he believed in these guys, the complete opposite of Jim O'Brien. And they got to -to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals, and – they really gave us some great moments in this decade that we had been longing for since the early 2000s. Completely agree. Definite players coach.
2: I think that I've heard just people speak very highly of Frank Vogel. I mean, when C.J. Watson was on the show, Watson also played for Vogel in Orlando on that stand, and mm. I, th- I think that that's something where he had nothing but great things to say about him, and I feel like there's no way – that Jim O'Brien takes those teams to the Eastern Conference Finals. That was something where we hey, no. needed a change. No way! Yeah, we needed a no. change. The Pacers don't even go to the playoffs as an eighth seed with Jim O'Brien that year. So yeah. there's no way.
1: Yeah, it was a, a long time coming, and it was the best thing that happened for this franchise to start the decade off with. So moving on, number nine, Fachi, what you got? These are more of just kind of individual plays, and
2: Alex and I were talking, and you know, while they're not – maybe so significant in Pacers history, just some of Miles Turner's highlight plays. I mean, Alex and I were going through it, and we had the dunk on Gordon Hayward in the playoffs, the the block on uh, LeBron, which to me was the ushering in of Miles Turner to the league. I mean, just an awesome call. I mean, you got Quinn shouting – Smother chicken, double time. You got, you, got, you got Kristen Ari saying, welcome to the NBA, my friend. I mean, this was just – it's on LeBron. And there was this mystique about if you blocked or dunked on LeBron back then. It was so unheard of. I mean, it wasn't to the extent of – remember when LeBron got dunked on and they, they yanked the tape uh, in a summer years ago? Oh, I just yeah, thought, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal back then when Miles as a rookie – blocked it, and pinned it against the backboard. I lost my mind. I mean, there was a couple other ones we were going through. Alex, I know you were pretty high on uh, another rejection that Miles had, if you want to speak of that.
1: Yeah, the one on Marvin Williams this year was just oh, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, where he just met him in the middle of the paint and just grabbed the ball. I mean, absolutely beautiful. The dunk that got me off my feet, it was the one of the saddest game in Pacers history, the, the Game 3 collapse against the Cavaliers a couple of years ago. Yes. But – that dunk that he had on Tristan Thompson, oh my gosh, I was sitting on the floor. I jumped out of my seat. I was running around the house. I was so pumped for it. I was just like, look, Miles Turner is here. you know." And I was even more excited that summer because that's when Paul George re- requested a trade. So I'm like, okay, Miles Turner, like we're all in on this guy right now. This yep. is going to be the new face of the franchise. He's had some great moments. And, you know, he has been the longest tenured pacer to this point right now, which is absolutely mm-hmm. crazy because the league it changes is. so much. But I felt like, you know, he's been part of this – Team for about half a decade. We need to put him in here. And while he hasn't had the greatest playoff moments, there's been times where he's just shown flashes of excellence. And I feel like we should highlight those because Miles Turner is a fantastic rim protector and he's incredibly athletic I feel like he's kind of sneaky athletic how athletic he is like just attacking the paint like I remember the one that he had in New Orleans last uh, two years ago against uh, uh, Diallo that dunk that he had on Diallo was unbelievable as well I mean he's just had really good moments the one he had this year on Jonathan Isaac as well so I just I love seeing aggressive attacking the rim miles I want to see it more this year it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier but those moments for me were just like ah so beautiful I want to see more of it too, but I got a question for you. Yeah, the
2: the dunk on Hayward or the dunk on Tristan Thompson, which one do you prefer more? Oh
1: man, that's easy. Dunk on Hayward. He put Hayward on a poster. I mean, my, he, he goodness, did. That could have been on the he, front of a Wheaties box.
2: It really could, and it's more <laughs> it's more fresh in our memory. But I might be leaning the dunk on Tristan Thompson. I Who's don't know. Dope? I think it's for I think it's forgotten about. It's been a couple years, and I just feel like. Miles, when he slammed it, I mean, he's going to the floor. He's freaking out. Like you see the <laughs> most from. Like it was just awesome. So I, I, I recommend you guys look that up on YouTube. The dunk on Tristan Thomas by Miles Turner. It, it was pretty electric.
1: Yeah, it was. So Fachi, you mentioned Quinn Buckner and Chris Denary's call, and you were kind of being modest, but I want to hear your oh, best. No, Quinn no. Buckner smother uh, chicken. Smother chicken double time. Where to go, Miles? <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's move on to number eight. Fatcha, what do you have at number eight? So, at
2: number eight, I mean, similar to the Miles moments, I'm going with the Oladipo game winners. I mean, we're going from being we're lucky now to have multiple Oladipo game winners, but we were coming from a man who was over 15. At game winners before, and Paul George. So a couple of moments Alex and I were gathering. The game winner against the Spurs. It was the first where I feel like we knew there's a new sheriff in town. I mean, we're down two. Depot just hits a beautiful step back three. And I I could be wrong, but I believe that's when he debuted the pointing down, this is my city.
1: Uh, I don't know about you, but I think that's the first time I saw it, and it, it yeah. stuck. No, it did. And, I mean, you have this a little bit too low for me. I have mine a little bit higher, and we'll get into that a little bit later. So I don't want to share why I have mine too high, but I will touch on the game winners real quick. Yeah, Victor just just coming in here and solidifying himself as the guy was just unbelievable. I mean, multiple game winners two years ago. Last year we saw the one against Boston before he went down. We saw the game against Chicago last year. He was great. In Chicago, him and Levine just went back and forth trading shots and shots, and that kind of ties into Turner there as well from last moment, because Turner had that game winning block. I know you mentioned that you loved that block in that game. I and loved it. It was it was just one of those crazy one of those crazy games. Like you don't expect the Bulls to be that competitive. They weren't, but they they bought the pacers hard. And so one of those things, you know, I just Ola hitting those game winners just really Was awesome and it made you feel so much better about the trade. But yeah, I'll get into mine a little bit later. I've gotten quite a bit higher up on my list just because I'm that big of an Oladipo guy. So uh, I guess I'll reveal my number eight right now for the biggest moments of the decade, and that's gotta be the return of Lance Stevenson into Bankers Life Fieldhouse against the Toronto Raptors. I bought tickets to that game. I sat in the balcony with friends, and I tell you what, my man. It was the most electric game I've been to. I mean, literally, I put this out on Twitter when it first happened. That gym was more electric for Lance Stevenson's return than it was for Paul George's return from the injury two or three years ago. I mean, I'm just telling you, like, it was unbelievable at how crazy the fans went for him, the energy he brought to that game. I mean, Monte Ellis started playing like he actually knew how to play basketball again. Uh, Jeff Teague actually showed some emotion. I mean, I mean, I just left that, that arena just so pumped man I just couldn't believe that it was happening and I was like why did we ever get rid of him in the first place like why did we break up this marriage and then you see a couple years later it's gone again I mean just the Lance magic to return for a whole season I can see why it's a little bit over you know overwhelming but for that that moment those six games that is exactly what we needed because that Pacers team was the most disappointing Pacers team that I had seen probably in a while. I mean, going back to the Dunleavy days when we had Jeff Teague and Thad Young, Montielis, Paul George, just could never get on a consistent winning streak until we got Lance back. It was the the missing piece of the puzzle for the end of the season. Now we got swept, like we mentioned, by the Cavaliers LeBron James once again in our way. Can't stand the guy, but, you know, Lance gave us moments once again, and it was just great to see. I'm sure you have that up a little bit higher, but that's where I have it for me, number eight.
2: I got it at number seven. I mean, that Lance crowd reaction when he returned back to Indiana. I mean, just as you mentioned, I mean, you being there, you, you would know better than me, but through watching through the TV, it was loud. I mean, mm-hmm. that was a real welcome back. And people forget the Pacers are sitting at 38-39. and 39. Six games left in the season. Lance comes in there. They drop the first one in a close game to the Cavs. And they rattle off five straight games. But we got to also talk about, in that game of the Raptors, I mean, Lance he, he's being Lance again you know he scores the most unnecessary basket you could ever imagine <laughs> at the end he's got DeRozan PJ Tucker all in his face Corey I Joseph
1: mean, he, was the one that threw the ball at him throw actually.
2: the ball exactly and it's just Lance just walking right through them, at, not paying him any attention. He had been barking up T- P.J. Tucker before that, like a mini melee breaking out on the court. It was like the definition of, wow, I missed Lance. Oh, and yeah, hey, yeah. Oh, w- without Lance, I don't think the Pacers get in the playoffs. No, he, they like, miss
1: it. He put a, a jolt into that team, and they needed it. Oh, I completely agree. They definitely missed Lance. Uh, and if they didn't have him, they would not have made the playoffs. And that would have even looked worse when Paul George requested a trade the next year. You know, that, honestly, like some fans were even saying, like, bringing in Lance was trying to help keep Paul there. Like, that's just how much Lance meant to Paul, and he meant to the Lance's yeah. organization. Like, I know Larry Bird's been more in his corner than probably Pritchard and those that regime. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I was just so excited for Lance's return and. Yeah, I mean, it just stinks that he's in China now because we don't get to see him in the NBA doing it his does. crazy air guitar and all that. But Lance to this organization means more than to to us than Lance to the other organization. Like I oh, mentioned it boy. last week with Spencer, like he hated Lance in Charlotte. The <laughs> yep. Lakers probably don't even like Lance. I mean, Lakers fans. I mean, it's just it's just crazy how this one guy from Cincinnati and New York came in and stole the hearts of Indiana fans just because he balled out. And it was a little crazy. We like a little bit of crazy, but, you know, it it just brought something different to us. So definitely love that. I guess for me, number seven, I'll give my number seven here. It is the pacers cavs comeback game, Uh, game three of the 2018 NBA playoffs, the one where Bogey goes off. Uh, Pacers overcome a 17-point deficit in the second half. Victor's going off. Uh, the, The lineup out there that really got the team back in it, it was Corey Joseph, Victor, Bogey. Thad and Sabonis that was the team that helped this 17 point lead come to a close and then they ended up eventually taking it bogey just hit multiple threes got fouled by Corver on one and and one I mean just unbelievable atmosphere it was just a huge win for the Pacers because they had already had uh, a, a road victory in game one where they just dominated Cleveland that game so to get a two one advantage to give themselves a legitimate shot to knock out LeBron James in the first round. I mean they had to win this game three and I felt like that game was so incredible for this group of guys to just get that experience.
2: Uh honestly I had that on my list, but even higher. Okay. Uh do you want me to, to go into it now no, or just
1: save it. Just save it till we get to okay. it. I want to steal okay. from you. So that yep. was my number seven. Uh number six, what do you have?
2: Number six, uh, you know, maybe this is a little bit lower on the list just because it happened off the court, but the signing of David West. This is my number six, too. I've talked about it, so so have you on this podcast. It's probably the biggest signing in franchise history. I mean, this was the turning point for the Pacers. They had never been attracting big-name free agents, and I think that got a little bit better this year, but you got a two-time All-Star to choose us. So... Right after the Pacers finally get back in the playoffs in 2011, as that eighth seed that we spoke about, they played the Bulls, West comes, he chooses us, coming off of the torn ACL, and the Pacers, they flip the switch. I mean, they're no longer just, like, trying to just be there. They're they're starting to make noise. I mean, they're out in the second round against the Heat, but it, it's a battle. And, and West, there is no doubt about it. He was the big brother and the locker room leader of that team. Whether you want to call him the big dog or the enforcer, David West was the guy that kept everybody in check and let you know you're not going to mess with us. Right. So it, it just seemed like there was – he kept the Pacers cool. He kept them calm and just so many big just like moments that go under the radar with David West just being that veteran leader that I feel like he symbolized almost the style of play the Pacers would play for the next few years.
1: Yeah, the culture that David West brought into that organization, that franchise, was just what they needed. Tyler Hansborough was their starting power forward. They obviously needed an upgrade there. While we love Psycho T and how crazy he was for the few years that we had him, it was one of the picks that everybody hated looking back at it in 2009. So many better options that we could have taken a point guard, the position we struggled to get for so many years. And if we would have actually drafted a point guard in 09, we might have actually been able to keep Kawhi Leonard, but that's besides the point. Let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> but but David West, my my thing with David West was just like this move was was huge, not only for the fact that he chose us, but because there was a team in Boston. Yep. Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen that were recruiting David West to their team to be part of that starting core. And, you know, he thought about it, but he felt like Indiana was a better fit for him. And it just—it was just really cool to see. We saw Boston kind of you know, fade out. Pacers kind of took their position against LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And then Ray Allen eventually left Boston and joined the Heat. But we had David West during that period, and he was the guy that hit the go-to shots. I put this on Twitter last week. I said, while Paul George might have been the best player, David West was the most important. David West carried this team, put the Pacers on his back, and really just helped this team mature because they were immature. Danny Granger was a good leader as well, but he wasn't healthy during their big run. It was Lance. It was George Hill. It was Hibbert. It was Paul George. All guys who had never really had this experience in the NBA before didn't know how to handle success. And while David West didn't have great success in New Orleans, I mean, they had good success, but nothing great. His experience, his leadership, his demeanor, him as just a person, he just carries himself so much differently than any other, you know, player that we've really brought in here i mean it's just so much so much great things to say about him like it was a really sad thing to see him go because he just felt like there was too many children in the room and he was the only grown up and it it sucks i mean you kind of saw it on the court he kind of just didn't really give up but he did a little bit he wasn't trying nearly as hard as he had the year before and he gave up 12 13 million dollars to go play for san antonio because he wanted to win and he wanted to be in a different environment and we give him credit for doing that because he didn't have to come here in the first place but it's just sad that things didn't end a little bit better so i i love the move though i'm trying to be positive here with everything i'm saying about david west because without him we don't get to the eastern conference finals period
2: oh definitely david west is the definition of if you love him let him go. Let him fly. And I just felt like at that point, someone get this man a ring. I wouldn't bat an eye if he latched on a team. And that's what he did. He went with the Spurs. Didn't work out. It went with the Warriors. He got his. And for that, and that's awesome. He reti- He capped off
1: a really good career. Yep. All right. So let's move on to number five. We were halfway there. Fachi, number five. Greatest moment for you. Number five was the moment that you spoke about before. It's the Pacers
2: versus the Cavs, game three, the 17-point comeback. Uh, I simply known it as the bogey game. I just feel like bogey that night was almost becoming a household name overnight because he just wouldn't quit. He's lighting it up from three. He's guarding LeBron. I mean, I remember being like, I don't remember – bogey playing defense like this, and trust me, LeBron had 28 in that game. It's not like he shut him down, <laughs> but he made things difficult for LeBron. So the Patriots come back from 17 down. I mean, it was nuts. I mean, they take the lead in this series 2-1. He scores 19 of his 30 in the second half. He just couldn't miss. But on a, on a special side note, I was watching that game with my parents. Shout-out to my mom. I'm sure she's listening to this podcast eventually. And they were so into that game because they thought it was over. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, this is going to be rough. (laughs) Like, I don't want to lose this game. And the Pacers, they just wouldn't quit. And it it was just unbelievable to see. I mean, the four-point play, when Bogey hits that and and he falls into, like, the, the, the side where the chairs are. I mean, that was a moment that I just think about. And it's just like, wow, that was a comeback. You never know in basketball it's a game of runs, and that run for the Pacers was just so awesome,
1: yeah, I remember exactly where I was watching that game. I was at my parents' house with my fiance We were watching the game, and you know, like we all were like, "Okay, you know we gotta cut it to you know seven or eight by the third quarter so we can hopefully have a chance in the fourth and then things just start clicking and clicking and clicking and i'm just like freaking out my wife's like oh my god you know my it was just awesome she was just like she's like okay i really like pacers playoff games she's like i love bojan you know i just really got her into the Pacer a little bit more i think just seeing me excited got her excited and my dad was getting into it uh so it was just one of those things and we made it a tradition after that game to watch all the playoff games together the four of us at my parents house that series and uh, game seven, you should have seen my dad. Oh, he was so livid with LeBron, I mean, and the referees. I mean, blaming the refs for everything oh, was yeah. great. But uh but yeah, I mean we, we did our best to make sure we watch all those games together. It was just one of the greatest moments. But yeah, I guess I guess I'll move on to my number five. I already talked about that game quite a bit, but my number five is a little bit lower uh than I'm sure you have it. But that is Paul George's game five versus the Heat in the two thousand fourteen Eastern Conference Finals. The Pacers were down three to one. They had home court advantage. They had been making a fuss about getting the home court advantage against the Heat for so long. And then they were down 3-1 heading into game five. Paul George just could not miss. I mean, the dude was lights out from beyond the arc all over the place. Honestly, I mean, it was one of the most beautiful performances I've seen from Paul George. Larry Bird was very disappointed with Lance Stevenson's uh, antics. Blowing in the bronze ear, touching his face, you know, just basically saying, hey, you know, your stupidity and your antics took away from Paul George having this special moment. I mean, we weren't even talking about that. We were talking more about Lance and what he was doing. To me, this is a little bit of an overhyped game. I know that it's way higher on your list, but to me, if you watch that game, every other Pacer besides Paul George in that moment, the last, like, three minutes, just looked like the game was over to him. Like, the series was over. They didn't have the same fight they had. They had been – just been brutal that playoffs. I mean, they got through the first two rounds, but, I mean, it wasn't easy – They put way too much pressure on themselves, and they just really didn't handle it very well. And this is LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Boshman, one of the greatest teams ever assembled. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they were in our way for a reason because they were the better team. But I feel like this game, if it had been to push a game seven or, you know, to if it had been a game two or something like that where it would have even the series give you more of a hope, this is like, oh, yeah, we get another chance to – (laughs) stay alive and then go get murdered in Miami once again in game six like to me it was just a little bit of a of a great performance of Paul George needs to be on the list because it was fantastic but I do think that there are some other moments that UV have already mentioned that are better for this franchise and honestly like this was kind of the end of the the Pacers run with this, this this group I mean it was kind of sad it all just kind of fell apart after that
2: yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I guess, the, the climax. Uh, I'm going to save it because I do have that moment a little bit earlier. So I will reserve my thoughts for now. <laughs> uh, but I'll give you my, my number four. Um, my number four on there was uh, David West's go-ahead shot against the Hawks in uh, round one. I mean, it's not a that's buzzer. beater the same year as the right? Paul
1: George uh, Eastern Conference Finals game five that I just talked about. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So, yep. So earlier on, so it's it's David West, you know, where it's game six. I mean, what people forget is he had the go-ahead shot. It's like forty-six seconds left. I mean, without that shot, the Pacers are probably gonna lose and get eliminated because the Hawks are up three to two. So if you're gonna be the one seed and lose to the eight seed, that's an absolute embarrassment. So it's not just that that shot. It's David West had like eight points in the last like minute and a half. He just refused to let the Pacers go down, clutch basket after clutch basket, and when, when he hits that that uh, that floater with just you know forty six seconds go, puts the Pacers up for good. They avoid embarrassment and they move on to Washington. And selfishly, I got to see them play the Wizards. I was actually at Game Three in Indiana. I uh, know Game Two in Indiana, and and it was it was awesome. But David West saving us the embarrassment, just something that completely flies under the radar.
1: Well, yeah, and this is why I have this higher than number four for me. Um, this moment was bigger to me than Paul George's moment because the Pacers were on the brink of elimination. I know in both situations they were, but what would be worse, getting eliminated by the Heat in five games in the Eastern Conference Finals or getting eliminated by the Atlanta Hawks, an eight seed in the first round? I mean, that would have been completely embarrassing. And it would we would Roy Hibbert, like the, the Andrew Bynum addition, just messed with him mentally. Chris Copeland's out there trying to guard Piero Antich. I mean, Yamahimi's out there. I mean, Roy Hibbert was just lost on the bench, lost in the series, and this was somebody that was the heat stopper just the year before. I mean, it was yep. just one of those moments where David West was like, look, we have come too far, we have worked too hard, and I'm not going to give up on this team. So, yeah, this is a little bit higher for me, Fachi. so I'll get into that a little bit more deeper when I get to my number three. But for me, number four, this is where I have – Every Oladipo game winner, specifically the one against the Spurs. I mentioned all the other game winners earlier. I think you had it at number seven on your list. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I can't remember, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, er, it was early in the rankings for you, not to, not towards the top, but for me, it's just like, look, Paul George put this team in a bind. He said, look, I want out and I want to play for the Lakers. So what happens? You know the, the trades that we want to make, people are like, well, we don't think he's going to sign with us. He's got one more year left and he's a free agent. So basically took away all leverage. And what what happened here? The Pacers trade Paul George for Sabonis and Victor Oladipo. And everybody in the media, even a lot of Pacer fans, kind of like ragged this trade. They're like, what are we doing? Oladipo and Sabonis for George, that's all we could get? Seriously? And then we just see Oladipo. Blossom into an all-star. Blossom into a starter on the all-star team. Somebody that fans love probably even more than they ever loved Paul George. And these game winners, to me, when he yelled, this is my city, I mean, it just solidified to me that he was all in. He was the replacement for Paul George. He was ready to elevate his game to the next level. And while we only saw one really solid year, because last year was, you know, tore down to injuries, that moment for me made this trade a win in my eyes and I think that's why I have it higher because I don't just view it as oh game winners great moments I view it as we won this trade the trade for Paul George benefited us and not only did we get Victor Lee we got Domas Sabonis a double-double machine like you like to call him off the bench Mm -hmm. just somebody that you know changed the entire way the Pacers played and became our best pick and roll big man and you know since David West so in all honesty, like, I, I think that you might be undervaluing the importance of Victor Oladipo to this team by having not mentioning this part of the deal like with the trade as part of your highlight moments. And maybe you just didn't think about it like that. But for me, that's all I was thinking about is these shots just proved that he was the guy that's going to lead our franchise into this future and a future that a lot of people believe can be very high and possibly reach the same level or higher than what Paul George took us to.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a good point. If you tie it in all like that, I think I have it lower <laughs> on just because it is just because it is
1: regular season. Well, so that's I am someone the moments were, but I tied the trade into it too.
2: Yes, if if you do if you tie the trade into it, sure you know hey we got a guy who can close and is also now an all star. Um, since it was regular season, I had it lower on just because some of them some of the playoff moments were you know pretty big. Uh, those were the bigger stage. Uh, let alone you know, cause some of the Depot ones like against uh, the Celtics, it's like the ninth game of the season or against the Bulls. It's a, it's a team that's not too good, even though, trust me, I went bananas seeing those game winners and they were pretty damn awesome. But, <laughs> but moving on, I have number three, a moment that you were lower on that we talked about. That's Paul George's game five against the Heat. Way too high. <laughs> I don't know, man, because I'm telling you, the Pacers, they stave off elimination. This isn't just, oh, what we're living to see another day. This is, at the time, your franchise player scoring 37 points with 31 in the second half, 21 in the fourth quarter. If things didn't end the way they did with Paul George, people are saying, man, that moment made me feel something. I I was – no one's ever – I need to let this be known. No one's ever replacing Jermaine on my list, but I loved Paul George. (laughs) I did. I was very hurt by that trade. I loved him, and I felt like, hey, you can have whoever you want. I got my franchise guy. And Paul George that night played like a franchise player, and I was saying to myself, the guy on the other end, that's your king? LeBron had seven points in that game. Battled in foul trouble. Look just nothing on that day we had the better guy and I knew we were going to live to see another day and if we won game 6 we're going back to Indiana and anything could happen it made yeah. me
1: believe what happened in game 6 Fachi It did not work out well <laughs> Then that's my problem. It's like, you know, where was this in game two? Where was this in game three and four on the road? Why did it wait till game five when you were at home and you're facing the brink of elimination? Why didn't Paul George step up and do what the Pacers did with Oladipo against the Cavs? I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, even two or three years before that, I mean, we were not in the same predicament we were in there. I mean, I don't think it was all Paul George's fault at all. I mean, the guy was playing out of his mind, but he was the leader of this team. He was supposed to be the best player. And while he had a great moment in that game, it, to me, like he, he could have done so much more. Like Game six was atrocious. We got completely slapped in the face. And you said, oh, LeBron had seven points in that game. Well, LeBron James remembered that he had seven points. And he came out yeah. and completely dominated in game six. And made the Pacers realize, yeah, you're not even close to being a title contender. But this was cute while it lasted. I mean, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like we mentally... That team was mentally destroyed. And it was the end of it all. I mean, I mean, I know Paul got injured that next summer, and that really made the thing end altogether, but it just Lance caused a lot of problems in that series. Don't get me wrong, on the antics to Lance really took away from Paul's moment, like I mentioned. But yeah, I mean, it was a great moment. Don't let me don't let me undersell that. It was an amazing moment. I I felt the same way you did. Oh my god, game six. But if you're looking back at it now, trying yeah. to be Giving a good perspective to me, it's like okay, this was a little bit overhyped because we had nothing to lose, nothing to lose. We were going to get eliminated, and the, and the, he were like, well, this is game five in their place. If we don't win, we still have two more chances. The Pacers said we're fighting for their lives. It was they were surviving,
2: and that's why this is the greatest Pacer of moments because in in that moment it was legendary. Can't look that's at afterwards. Fair. That night that was a moment. Final score 93-90. It was like a one-point game with like barely any time left. It was a battle and Paul George big shot after big shot. We
1: live to see another day. Yeah, I know. I mean, you're right. You're right. Those moments that moment was big. But I think it did a little overhyped. And so for my number 3, that's where I had David West game 6 winning shot versus the Hawks because like I mentioned earlier, like that would have been the most embarrassing moment to see the Pacers go out in 6 against the Hawks an 8 to 1 seed. All they did was talk about having the number one seat so they could have home court against the Heat. If they couldn't even have got to the Heat, that would have been the most embarrassing thing I could have ever felt as a fan. Like, seriously, we just lost to an eight seed. Like, that is ridiculous. And the fact that we built this team, you know, to to do great things. You know, we go out and trade Granger for Evan Turner because Granger was hurt. You go out and sign Andrew Bynum. You go out and make all these moves, and what does it get you? Elimination because Hibbert can't guard Piro Antic. Really? I mean, that's what's going to end our Pacers series? Like, West saved it. I mean, getting us game seven at home was everything. and the fact that we had to scrap and claw and do everything we could to overcome the hawks, I mean that that, that moments to me would just resonates more in my head as like, oh, thank you, David West, for saving us because if not, we'd been the lapping stock of the league, and nobody would have taken us seriously. Yeah. and if you would have thought Paul George wanted out three years later, that would probably have been the moment Paul's like, man, i got to get out of Indy. (laughs) You know, it would have happened three years earlier. I mean, just to be honest, I mean, it was just so critical to me. So that was my number three, but we don't want to talk too much on it. Um, I think we both have one and two as the same, so you want to go to number two now?
2: Number two, it's got to be Paul George's dunk on Birdman. Eastern Conference Finals, game two. I mean, that was like, you can make an argument, that might be like the Paul George highlight. Uh, to this day. I mean, the Patriots are clinging to a two-point lead. The third quarter is winding down. Paul George drives right past LeBron and just throws it down over Birdman. Birdman looks absolutely humiliated. Could you imagine if that happened in Indiana? would Everybody would have went wild. Instead, you got the Miami crowd kind of like looking down like, oh, God, how do I react? Like, that was pretty awesome, but I don't want to show it. Right. I mean, <laughs> it was – it was quite the slam. The Pacers hold on. They they end up tying the series at 1-1. It's actually what people forget about is right after LeBron's infamous game-winning layup when Roy wasn't on the floor. So <laughs> it, it was a good way to, to come back and really just uh, even up the series after a mishap in game one.
1: And the fact that the greatest Pacer of all time, Reggie Miller, was calling that game yes. on commentary. Let's just – Take a little flashback, Fachi. Let's go back and listen to this excellent moment. <sighs> the play that got me out of my seat the moment that made me realize man the guy that i questioned that we draft like who is this paul george guy this dude is legit this is going to be our franchise player this is the guy that we're going to build around for years and years to come that moment right there was it for me the high five with lebron after lebron came down and hit the half court shot after paul george's incredible dunk on him blowing by him i mean the respect that lebron gave him Made you feel like okay, he just accepted our guy. Our guy is in the next year All Star game. Paul George is on the court with Eric Spoelstra coaching with LeBron out there. I mean, you just knew like, oh man, this is like so dope that our guy's gonna be here. And honestly, like, it just is really sad that things ended the way they did with Paul because that moment, Paul George number twenty four became before he came number thirteen was the player I fell in love with. The number thirteen Paul George is not who I fell in love with as a Pacer fan, but. Paul George, 24, young King George, that's who I loved. That moment, that three that he hit to send the game to overtime from David West where it was twerked in the air. I mean, that's part of that game. I mean, that whole game was just a Paul George breakout moment to show that he was the best player on the Pacers. Maybe not the most important, but the best player in the way that this team was going to be run was around him for the near future Unfortunately, like I said, I <laughs> wish it would have been longer. But that moment was, oh, my God. I mean I still – I get chills. I have a, literally an autographed picture from Paul George of him dunking on bourbon. I got him the autograph that picture for me. So I have that That's poster. awesome. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life besides my wife. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> you know, Reggie said it best, a superstar in the making. That was that moment that everybody spoke about. I mean you can make an argument that when you think of Birdman – you think of getting dunked on by Paul George. Right. No,
1: for sure. I mean, it's it's true. And uh, I, when I think of Birdman, I think of two things. The dunk on uh, – the Paul George dunking on him and the 15 missed attempts that he had in the same dunk contest. <laughs> that was brutal. Oh one of the
2: worst dunk contests I've seen. <laughs> I mean, I, I was wondering if they were just going to make it stop at one point. But, hey, not the best moments to be memorized by. But, uh, hey – you know what? That that moment that was a just summed up as a moment. Paul George, Duncan, you'll never forget it. But number one, uh, we're we're both in agreement of this. I mean, this moment was so significant, it and this ended is a
1: player's career, literally.
2: It, it, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, it, it's it's interesting how this play went both ways for for other players. It's the Roy Hibbert block on Carmelo Anthony. It's Game Six. All right, now the Pacers are they're up ninety two to ninety. All right, there's five minutes to go, so the time it's not like it's at the end of the game, but it, oh boy, it was a moment. Melo gets right by Paul George and is met at the rim by Roy Hibbert for his fifth block of the game, and the Pacers never look back. They finish off the Knicks like, like it's old times, and Melo and the oh, Melo would return to the playoffs eventually, but the Knicks never did. The Pacers move on, and for me, it was honestly the background on my phone for about three to four years. Everyone was telling me to move on, and I was saying, "No, no shot." I know what I felt that night, and for Roy Hibbert, unfortunately, it's one of the last moments you know we really had as a positive, shining moment. Shortly after that, it was uh, his career was kind of downhill.
1: Yeah, and and just uh, looking at that picture, the ball perfectly placed, like the Pacer logo. In Hibbert's hand, I mean, this play could have gone one or two ways. I mean, if he gets that oh, yeah. dunk, that energizes their team. That's a timeout by the Pacers. We're talking tie game. This is game six. We're possibly going back to game seven in the garden because, remember, the Pacers were the three seed. Yep. New York was the two seed at this time. Yep. And this was the Pacers' second year of really trying to make a nice push. And, honestly, it just solidified the Pacers as a legit contender. And, Fachi, I've got the play here on my phone. Are you ready for it? Love it. Bring it
0: plays by the Knicks. Now, now Shaffer got
1: back to the bench. I wonder if he was coming in for JR. Anthony oh. Hibbert denies him at the rim. Block number 5 for the Pacers center. Wow, what a play. Oh man. It doesn't get any more beautiful than this. All the yellow shirts sitting there watching this block in the background Hibbert just saves there. And I mean the way that he had to hang in the air for that block too. I mean It's a little bit underrated. Like, his hand was on the ball for a while, and, like, Melo kind of pushed it back, and he had to come back and push against it. Just the resistance. I mean, that moment was one of the most incredible moments that I've ever seen in Boccia. I mean, that put the Pacers on the map more than the Paul George dunk. Paul George's dunk was more for him on the map, but Mm -hmm. that block for Hibbert put the Pacers as a team, as somebody that you don't want to mess with on the map.
2: Oh my god, and I I could tell you that I remember, I was sitting in my friend's basement, I was in New York uh, just surrounded by Nick fans and when that block happened I swear, it sucked the life out of the room and I was the only one freaking out, and you could just imagine everybody, just, they knew it was done, there was a legitimate momentum
1: shift right there, and the Pacers never looked back Yep, you're right, so there you have it, folks, the top 10 moments of the decade. Me and Fachi ended up having the same 10. We talked about it. We got down to 10. Then we ranked them. and we ranked them differently. So let us know what you guys thought. Maybe there was something that we didn't put on the list. Um, did you have any honorable mentions? Maybe not go into detail, but just mention some of the things that happened this decade that you didn't put on the list.
2: Yeah, I thought for an honorable mention, I mean, obviously, the Pacers drafting Paul George. I mean, a lot of people didn't know it at the time. I mean, it's, it's obviously something that ended up being, wow, you drafted a franchise player. Uh, 10th overall, I believe it was, it it was just one of those where you never really expect to find a gem at 10, but, uh, we really did. And for there, eventually within about a year, I knew that this guy could be the next
1: guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, is there another moment that you had? Yeah, there's a couple I'm going to go through just real quick. Um, I had drafting Paul George on mine as well. I think the trade for Thaddeus Young was really important to this team just because of what he brought to this organization. I thought the Pacers winning the number one overall seed in the East was very important, really cool moment. The Pacers-Wizards game four where they took a 3-1 lead, that was just a phenomenal series. The Pacers were down, I think, by 17, 19 points at halftime, and Paul George and Hibbert just went off that game. And then one of the last ones for me, it's more of a personal moment, but – Jan Mahimi, game four against the Raptors, the year we went to seven games against them in 2016. Mahimi has a breakout game. It gets him paid way too much. That's why the Wizards ended up overpaying for him. But that game four was just phenomenal. Mahimi had the game of his life. And a little personal note, I got to meet Andrew Luck that day after the game was over, shook his hand in the middle of the street leaving the game. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those personal moments. But, yeah, I mean, but still, that game, I'll never forget it for me. Meeting Andrew Luck, sitting on the corner about seven rows up by the uh, cheerleaders locker room, watching that game. F- Toronto fans are sitting next to me. It was so great to just see them in their misery. Uh, traveling all the way from Canada to Indiana to see a loss is just unbelievable. So uh, love it. Love Mahimi when he was here and uh, wish that things would have worked out better for his career and his injuries.
2: The $64 million game right there. <laughs> yeah. <You
1: know, laughs> you know, between that series,
2: Jan and, and Bismack Biabo got paid. But, you know, obviously there's, there's things like we kind of touched on it earlier – Obviously, a huge memorable moment is the trade for Oladipo and Sabonis. I mean, that's obviously – we talked about it. We covered it. Huge moment. And uh, I don't know if you said it before, but Pacers winning number one overall seed in the East. I thought that's – they they limped their way to, to the one seed. It was starting to look pretty rough at the end of that year, but they still got it. And for that, that's an
1: accomplishment. Absolutely. So that does it for this segment. Now we're going to jump on here in a few with our featured fan of the week. And you guys know him on Twitter as Alex Riley, the Pacers graphic designer for Pacers Twitter. Uh, He does all of our graphic designs for us at Setting the Pace. And we're going to have him come on. And this might be the first time that he's ever revealed his voice. So you guys get to hear the Australian joining us around, I think it's like 9.20 this morning uh, in Australia time. So uh, he'll be joining us here in just a few Pacer fans, I encourage you guys to check out pacerstalk.net where we have launched a brand new website earlier this summer where we're covering the team going forward. You can look at the roster, see what new players are on the team. You can check out the articles we have, our YouTube channel is on there as well. Make sure you guys check it out, and of course, you can hear all of our podcasts on pacerstalk.net. Let's get back to the show. Alrighty, Pacer fans, you finally get to put a voice behind a Twitter account. We are excited to have on our graphic designer, Alex Riley, as our feature fan of the week. Alex, what's going on, man?
3: Uh, nothing much. I'm excited to be on the show, man. So, yeah.
1: <clears throat> well, we are glad Great to have you. So, my, my first question for you is, Australia, how in the world did you become a fan of a team from Indiana?
3: Um, this is a question that you're probably not surprised, but I get asked this probably... Uh, five times every week or so. So um, I think it was probably 2012, I want to say. 2012 2013 season. We were playing the Heat in a regular season game. And I knew absolutely nothing about the NBA. Like literally nothing. No teams, no players, nothing. And my mate was just watching. I think it was, yeah, it was Heat versus Pacers. And I asked him who he was going for. He said Miami. So. You know, me being the smartest that I am said, all right, I'm going to go for the Pacers, <clears throat> being a Pacers fan ever since then.
1: Oh, wow. That's crazy.
2: That's pretty awesome. I mean, hey, that's kind of similar how I became a fan living in New York. I wanted to go against the grain, I guess, and the Pacers were that, that rival at the time. So I'm with you on that. But Alex, you put out some pretty awesome like hype videos. What's maybe something, that the video that you're most proud of?
3: oh um i think i'll definitely yeah i don't know i've made like 20 already this month but um i've definitely the brogdon one i released a couple days ago but um i think the video that i had the most fun making was the trailer that i've got my pinned tweet on that was awesome Um, yeah the whatever it takes trailer that got a lot of uh attraction so that was one of my favorites to make without a doubt.
1: So, how many players in the NBA have you not put a Pacers jersey on so far? <laughs>
3: <laughs> that is a fantastic question. Um, oh god! I actually did an over under as well on my Twitter, saying like sixty four, and most people actually said under. I think, but um, oh, there's not many. I think I did like I actually tallied it up. I did like over eighty this oh offseason my god, alone. That so. is
1: crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, let I me ask you this, them. just to kind of keep it relevant, like. The moves that we've made this summer, you know, the moves that were made last summer, like some of the guys we had, like who was your one of your favorite players on the team? Maybe it's a new addition or maybe it's someone that's been here for a while.
3: Um, I think Thad was without a doubt my favorite pacer for the last couple of years, my mm-hmm. well, last few years actually. Um, but I think the player I'm most excited to watch is actually uh, Jeremy Lamb. So I'm <clears throat> excited to watch what he can do with a bigger role especially on a playoff team as well. TJ Warren, you know, that's two guys that haven't really had a chance to play on a winning team. So definitely excited to watch those two guys ball out in a Pacers uniform.
2: I think those are going to be some awesome pieces to the team, really added a lot of depth. Uh, now, mm. Alex, have you had the opportunity to uh, attend a Pacers game live? And if not, do you have any plans to?
3: Um. Yeah, I have. I went last year, November, late November, so November 23rd. And then I went a week later to a Lakers game, Lakers Paces, where we were down, I'm sure you remember, we were down by about 30 in the first quarter. Um,
2: yeah, that, nah, but, that
3: was a rough one. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. But um, no, nah, it was great to be there, but didn't get to see Victor in either game, so that was a bit disappointing.
1: That's tough. So you are planning on coming to the All-Star game in
3: 2021, correct? Oh, 100%. Yep, 100%. I'll be right there.
1: So I'm sure that being from Australia, you probably have some connections with Lee Ellis from the starters, right?
3: <laughs> um Are you a fan of no. him or no? Oh well yeah, yeah, yeah. Um can, can you shoot better than the him? starters got cancelled, didn't they? Yeah, but I mean, they tried to make a comeback. That was really upsetting man. I don't understand um, why think yeah, yeah, he no, did that. Yeah, that was bizarre. Um <clears throat> No, I will definitely say I'm a better shooter than him, so.
1: Oh, so give us a little <laughs> bit more, you know, I'm not trying to be, like, creepy, but, like, how tall are you? Like, you know, what's your favorite sport? What do you like to do? I mean, who is Alex Riley outside of the guy we see on Twitter?
3: Um, don't know the exact height, but I'm not very tall, so I'll probably give myself an extra inch or so. Uh, 5'10". Okay. <laughs> um, so you're
1: Fachi size. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
3: Maybe maybe five, nine and a half. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and
2: we round yeah, up. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Exactly. <laughs> um, no, nah, basketball is my favorite sport, but I also play cricket. I don't know if you guys know much about that. So it's pretty much That's the pretty Australian much baseball, if you will. <laughs> okay. I <laughs> um, just
1: know cricket is little insects in, in America. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> That's um, our version. I used to play Aussie rules footy, but not anymore. What is um, that? Uh, It's pretty. I mean, it's like NFL, but without all the padding, all the gear, just straight up tackling the crap out of people. Um, Yeah.
1: You break any (laughs) bones?
3: It's pretty. Oh, 100%. It's hard to explain without watching it, though. Um, Yeah, that's about it, though. Okay. I'm studying journalism as well, but you guys probably know I'm more of a designer, so. Mm hmm. Yeah,
2: I don't know. Hey, uh, one of the last questions before we wrap up. Alex, you recently kind of, I believe, did some work for Miles Turner. Do I have that correct? What was that yep. like?
3: Oh, that was awesome, man. Um, Yeah, Grant. I'm sure you guys know Grant. Yeah. Uh, I believe. Yeah, he hit me up just asking. He said that he had an opportunity to make a video on his website. Well, it was originally meant to go on his website, so I was like, oh, 100%. Um, and then things some things happened and i was lucky enough to get it on his instagram and that was pretty awesome man yeah
1: <clears throat> that is pretty dope so now people can reach out to you and you are open to making graphic designs and graphic videos for anybody but you have an email address where people can reach you at and do you have a website where people can see your work
3: um yep alex inquiries at gmail.com is my email but you can find that on my twitter bio at ak five um and my website's linked there as well so pretty much everything's on my Twitter
1: cool deal and I mean I know that we use almost all of our graphic designs I think we use all of our graphic designs for setting the pace and PacersTalk.net from Alex and we have a whole entire page dedicated to Alex's work there so if you guys do check out the website every once in a while check out that portion of you know PacersTalk.net where you can see all of Alex's stuff and uh, what is your Twitter handle one more time I know you changed it from what it used to be so what is it again yeah
3: um at ak riley five
1: okay well awesome man it was a pleasure having you on and we just want to say thank this, you. like thank you so much for all that you've done for our podcast and our website i mean you really have elevated our credibility with all that great work that you do so we really appreciate it
3: nah, thanks all, a lot man.
1: appreciate yeah. it all right fachi well that does it for another show
2: Hey, well, I actually had a fun time talking today. It was always great to relive some of the best moments in the past decade. I mean, when you got no basketball on, what what better do you have to do than relive some of the best moments?
1: And I absolutely want to give a shout-out to our feature fan of The Loop one more time, Alex Riley. Thank you so much for coming on and just letting us get the day a little bit better. And if you guys would like to give us a rating and review, check it out on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and review. We're available on all platforms for podcasts, so make sure you guys check that out. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go Pacers.